near that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. And they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. In the first place went the standard of the camp of, of the children of Judah, according to their armies, and over his host was Nashan, the son of Aminadab. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathanael, the son of Zuar. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. And the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merai set forward bearing the tabernacle. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set forward according to their armies. And over his host was Elizer, the son of Shadur. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shelmiel, the son of Jerai Shaddai. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Gad was Elisaph, the son of Duel. And the Kohathites set forward bearing the sanctuary, and the other did set up the tabernacle against Achan. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim was set forward according to their armies, and over his host was Elishama, the son of Amahad. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Padazer. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abidin, the son of Gideoni. And the, and the standard of the camp of the children of Dan set forward, which was the rear reward of the, all the camps throughout their hosts. And over his host was Ahiazir, the son of Ami Shaddai. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pegil, the son of Akron. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Thus were the journeys of the children of Israel according to their armies when they set forward. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Reguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the, in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, Yea, it shall be that when good, what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out to the camp. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. 
when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Thus far with reading God's holy and I failed to mention the, in our, my prayer, the expectant mums, and I just want you to know that uh, our prayers are with you, and we pray that um, all will go well in the delivery of your children, and that you will receive them with joy. And so, God be with you. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would uh, reserve the evening service often for an evangelical uh, message. I think that is wise. I think it's wise because in the church, in any church such as this and others, we can't assume that all are saved. That would be a terrible assumption. It would be wonderful if everyone were to save, and that's what we that's why we're here to bring the gospel, that all would come to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it would be a horrible assumption to simply assume that everyone has come to faith in Christ. And so following in the footsteps of Martin Lloyd Jones, that's what I like to do as well, is to have an evangelical message. Reaching out, calling, drawing, wooing, convincing sinners to close with Christ and enjoy the immense, immeasurable blessings of knowing him and relishing him and cherishing him. He is beyond your mind imagination. Nothing can be compared to him. Absolutely nothing. On November 15, 1858, Robert Murray Machine preached a sermon entitled, Turn at My Reproof. It was based on Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 23. And in his invitation to sinners to come and close with Christ, he said these words. It must be now, or it may be never. On a winter evening, when the frost is setting in with growing intensity, and when the sun is now far past the meridian, And gradually sinking in the western sky, there is a double reason why the ground grows every moment harder and more impenetrable to the plow. On the one hand, the frost of evening with ever-increasing intensity is enduring the stiffening clods. On the other hand, the genial rays which alone can soften them are every moment withdrawing and losing their enlivening power. O brethren, take heed that it be not so with you. As long as you are unconverted, you are under a double process of hardening. The frost of eternal night are settling down upon your souls, and the sun of righteousness with westering wheel is hastening to set upon you forevermore. If then the plow of grace cannot force its way into your ice-bound heart today, 
What likelihood is there that it will enter in tomorrow? And he closed with amen. It's a powerful closing. And on the last Lord's Day of 2023, I open with those words. And I open with those words asking this question. After the final gospel invitation of 2023, how will you close this year off? Will you accept the gospel invitation? Will you lay down your weapons of warfare and rebellion against the one who loved you so dearly that he gave his only begotten son? Will you do that? At the striking of the clock of 12 as you leave 2023, will you have come to the one who beseeches you, come unto me? We're going to be looking at Numbers 10, verses 29 through 32. Underneath the title, A Final Gospel Invitation for 2023. Let's read those again for a moment. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Reguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go. But I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And he said, that's Moses, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same we will do unto thee. We have three points we want to consider with you tonight, and that is the first one, the place to which Moses invites Hobab, verse 29a. Second, the inducements with which Moses encouraged is Hobab, verses 29b, verse 29b, and the urgency with which Moses pleads with Hobab, verses 30 through 32. He says, we are journeying to the place at which the Lord said, I will give it you. What place is this of which Moses speaks here? It's Canaan. The glorious destiny with which, to, uh, to which, um, of which uh, the Lord had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the place which Jacob had said and caused his sons to promise that they would bury, his, uh, bury him after he had died. It is also the place that Joseph said to his children, that they were to carry his bones up out of the land of Egypt. He said, because God will surely visit you. He will surely bring you out of this land. And when he does so, when God comes through with his promises, bring my bones up to the place where the Lord has promised that he will bring you. It is the land which the Lord frequently described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a good land. 
For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread with scarce, without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack any of it, any, anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 9. It's to this wonderful land of which God had called his people to journey. This beautiful land, a wonderful place. And it's, it's, it's no pipe dream, no fantasy, no castle in the sky. For Moses says, we are journeying to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. You, 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 you sense a certainty, don't you, about Moses' declaration here. He's not questioning, he's not saying that he may give us or that he might give us. But he's saying that the Lord has said, I will give it you. There's no hesitancy here. No, no, no cautiousness about Moses' assertion here. He fully believes the Lord will certainly make good on his promise. And had he not proved that? Was there ever an instance in Moses' life that God did not prove himself to be true? Not at all. Moses could scan the, the pages of history and see for himself that the Lord is true to his word. He came through with his promise to be, uh, to be with them and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He saw that with his own eyes. He understood that nothing stood in the way of God's promises. No matter how many roadblocks were thrown in the way, he knew that God would bring them through. And he had brought them through thus far. Time could not stand in the way. It was 400 years that they were in the land of Egypt. That's an incredible amount of time. You know, sometimes we read the, 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 the stories of Israel and we gloss over these things. But when you think of them deeply... How impatient you and I become over a month or two, let alone 400 years. And with all the promises that you and I have, there's over 8,000 promises in the word of God to encourage us. But how many promises did the people of Israel have? Do you know how many promises that... that um, those before the flood had concerning the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? One. One promise for 1,656 years. And they hung on that tenaciously. Why? Because God is true to his word and has proven it over and over again. And Moses knew that. Time didn't stand in the way, couldn't stand in the way. Nations and people couldn't stand in the way. Pharaoh tried to prevent it. Amalek came out of the wilderness and set upon Israel and tried to prevent them from going any further. They couldn't stay it. 
Nor could circumstances prevent the realization of God's promise to Israel. The Red Sea stood in their way, but God made a path through the Red Sea. And, and even sin and unfaithfulness could not stand, stay God's achievement of his promises for, to his people. Israel is complaining and murmuring against God and Moses. And yet the Lord proved himself faithful in bringing his people out of Israel and continuing to bring them on their way, journeying to the land of Canaan. Every Christian is journeying. Each one of us here who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in him for the forgiveness of all their sins is on a journey. When God called you, awakened you to a sense of your sin, delivered you, redeemed you from the slavery of your sin, he also promised to bring you to the place of which he was going to bring you. Of which he has said, I will give it you. He has promised you a place. What place is, is that to which you are going and to which he has said, I will give it you? Is not the promised land a type of heaven? And are not the wonderful things spoken of Canaan, but types and figures of the good things to come in glory? Things which Christ has procured by his suffering and death. And didn't the Lord Jesus promise us a place? Didn't he say, let not your hearts be troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, ye may be also. And it's interesting that the word that Jesus uses here for place is is the same word that's translated from the Hebrew into the Septuagint, place here in Numbers. Christ has prepared a place for you. There's a room for every believer in Christ, a room that has been bought with his precious blood. And when Christ came into the world, there was no room for him. But he for whom there was no room went to the cross, bore our sins, suffered the agonies of hell, died in our stead, arose from the grave for our justification, ascended into heaven, the place where he said, I go to prepare a place for you. The truly homeless one. the one who had no place to lay his head, went to glory to prepare a place, a room 
for every believer without exception. And there, at that, in that place, there are no, no vacancy signs. There's a place for each believer in Christ. There's room for all. And when the gospel invitation comes out, it comes out to all. There's room for all who put their trust in him. And God's people are on a journey there. And soon and very soon you will be there. Not as soon as you like, but sooner than you think. Sooner than you think. Don't you, child of God, this is, this is the way I think. I long for the last day I buy my last vehicle. I am looking forward to that day. I really am. And so do you. I'm sure you do. It's coming. We're on a journey to a real place, a place where our Lord Jesus will be, a place where sin and sorrow and pain and hurt and every sickness, cancer and dementia and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's will be no, pla- no more, a place where death will be no more, a place of righteousness, a place of peace and joy, a place where there is sublime harmony and unity, where the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with a kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. It's a real place. Just think of it. If it were not so, Jesus said, would I have told you? And the obvious answer to that is a rhetorical question. Of course not. He told us because it is. It is. And he Jesus Christ, the God-man, is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. And my pleasure is to prepare a room for you, a place for you. He's pleased to dwell with his people. When you read the book of the Song of Solomon, and I know that uh, some have differing views of it, referring to a husband's love for his wife. And that makes it the Song of Songs. Because when we come into Ephesians, 
and see how Paul describes the loving relationship between Christ and his church. And we see the loving relationship of a husband and wife in the Song of Solomon and how exquisite that it is. It becomes a song of songs in describing the wonderful relationship between Christ and his church. And this one to whom you have married and given yourself like a faithful husband is going there to prepare a room for you. And if you believe it, live like you believe it. Look at the world and everything that is in it. Look at the skyscrapers of New York. And you know what your and my response should be when we look at those things? And when we look at the towers in Dubai and we see fancy cars and all those things, you know what our response should be? A yawn. A yawn, incomparable to that which shall be revealed. Don't bore yourselves with those things. Don't bore yourself. I fear far too many Christians are too easily pleased by the very things they should be absolutely bored with when compared to what they have been promised in Christ's. Our desires and affections in that regard are very, very weak. We live far below our privileges. Far below. When our affections and desires are focused on what we see. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Weight of Glory. And let this sink in, because this is so true of so many Christians. He says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an aged child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you, are you catching that? Pile up whatever comes to your mind, whatever you think is pleasing to the eye, and then look at this side and see all the promises that we have in Christ Jesus, and all those promises point us to Christ himself. And ask yourself, am I too easily pleased with these things? How do I express my joy over those things compared to my joy over this one? Over this one. You remember, don't you, when the bride is asking, have you seen my beloved? And they say, well, Who's he any different than any other beloved? 
And then she goes on this wonderful an amazing description of her husband. He is so beautiful. And that's, you see, how we should be. Not satisfied with the things of this world. Because when we do, we're saying something without words to a world around us. That the glories of heaven and the things that this one has promised us are less than. That's what we're saying. So don't be too easily pleased, beloved, but rather live in the reality of what Christ had promised and of which the Apostle Paul wrote, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Isaiah 64 verse 4. It's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place. That he says, I will give it you. And if this is the place that God has promised to give to you, don't you want to invite others to the place? Everyone who goes to some place on this earth and sees something amazing, it's a strange thing if they don't go back home and say, you've got to see what I saw. And if you and I, with the eyes of faith, based upon the promises of God, see what he's promised us, shouldn't we want to relate that to others around us? And so your unbelieving friend has a wonderful car. Oh, that's nice. Let me tell you what I have. And then you go on this nice description, beautiful description of what you have in Christ. We invite, and we invite them to come with us. You've got to come with us. Join yourselves to us. We're on a journey to a place of which the Lord has promised to give us. The second point I want to consider with you is the inducements with which Moses encourages Hobab. Look at with me at verses 29b. He says there, Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. We will do thee good. All that the Lord has spoken concerning us, all the things that he has promised concerning us, everything that he speaks concerning us, we will share with you. All the covenant blessings. 
everything. Had not God delivered them, redeemed them with blood? Had he not provided water from the rock, manna from heaven? Did he not protect them and give them victory over their their enemies? Had he not given them his testimonies, his law from, from Mount Sinai? And would not the words, I am the Lord thy God, be theirs as well? And, and Moses is, is speaking to him, and he's saying, all these things that we experience will be your experience. And look, look what's before us. See the armies of Israel and all their banners, and there, there in the midst, the presence, the visible presence of our God going with us, dwelling with us. And all that he promises concerning us, It's going to be yours. Everything. But not only this physical, um, I mean, of spiritual blessings, but the physical blessings as well. We will share with you that which God gives us in this new land. The corn and the wine, the honey and the oil, the blessings from above. We will share with you. Because wouldn't those be powerful demonstrations of spiritual realities? That God was indeed with his people and that that he indeed was working in their lives and that their lives, by giving these things to them, would demonstrate those things? So with the church today, We are to use every inducement to draw sinners to come with us. We say to them, we will show you good. We will share with you all the spiritual realities the Lord has spoken concerning himself and us. We will speak of his goodness. We will speak of his kindness, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, and his love. And we will share with you the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. We will share with you all the sure and trustworthy promises of God. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, of whom we preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but in him, yes. All these trustworthy promises we will share with you. Because God never says yes and then no. He always comes through. But we just won't share his promises. We will share the promiser with you. Every promise enjoyed, quote unquote, enjoyed apart from the promiser is a rape of the promises of God. And so we not only share the promises. But the promiser himself we share. There's so many promises. You've heard that phrase, there's an app for that, right? There's a promise. That for everything in your life, there is a promise from the Word of God. 
Whatever facet of Christian experience in which you are involved, there is a promise for that. Are you fearful that your sins are ever so many that he will not receive you? Here is a promise from Christ. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6, verse 37. Are you burdened with a load of care? Christ says, come unto me, all ye that are labored and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. And as you journey with us and find yourself far from the Lord because you've strayed from him and are now fearful that he will, not, that he will cast you off, here is a promise for Christ. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Lamentations 3, 31 through 32. Are you going through difficult times of which no one knows but the Lord? Do you shed tears where no eye sees but God? Hear the loving words of our Savior. And through David. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? And then there's a wonderful promise, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We will share with you all the promises of God and the promiser himself. Come with us. We will show thee good. We won't harbor these things to ourselves. Come. But there was an urgency as well with Moses when Moses pleaded with Hobab. Because as, as Moses invites him to come along with them with all these inducements, with all the promises and all the things that... that um, God says he's going to do for them, for him. Hobab responds and says, I will not go. But I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And, he's, and Moses says, leave us not, I pray thee. For as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes, and it shall be if thou go with us, yea, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. Now, one would think that after all these wonderful inducements, after describing the land to which the Lord said, I will give it you, you would think that Hobab would say, I'm in. I'm coming along. This sounds exciting. But there's a refusal. You would have thought that Hobab would have responded like a young woman who, who loves the one that she's dating. And, and as he's in the process of proposing to her, her eyes start to light up. And she's just sitting in anticipation for him to, to come out with the words. Just say it that you'll marry me. You would think that Hobab would have thought, would have responded in that way. Just say it, Moses. But not so. There's this initial hesitancy, a no. 
He wants to return to his own family, to his own country, to be among his own people. Perhaps it was the smell of the soil and how it ran through his fingers. Perhaps it was the comfortable home, the family ties that were still there that drew him. A life of comfort versus journeying through a wilderness. Through a, to a land that he hasn't seen. He, ha- he was not where Moses was. And what I mean by that is that Moses had come to that place that he would rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. To enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. The riches and treasures. Moses had respect for the recompense of reward, as Hebrews 11, 25 and 26 say. He wasn't ready to count everything as loss. And some of you are at this place. You're still holding on, still clinging, still looking at the things that you have. And those things, to this moment, hold more value in your life than the things which you cannot see. And you're hesitant. As Christians, as believers, we should expect this. We should expect that there will be some pushback when we present the gospel. This shouldn't come as any surprise. It shouldn't come as surprise that we have people who are yet hankering back and not willing to give themselves over and to cast in their lot with us and come with us. And you see, you and I have no further to go than our own selves as proof of this very thing. And how did the Lord deal with us? Persevering grace overcame our resistance. One invitation after the next coming to us and inviting us. And so Moses does here, leave us not, I pray thee. Moses doesn't take no for an answer. But he comes right back to Hobab. Don't leave us, I pray. Do you sense this here? This urgency, this desire, this longing that he shares in the things and comes on this journey with them. There's no cold-hearted, disingenuous invitation. 
like someone who invites someone over because it's, you know, the Christian thing to do. No, his invitation, it's sincere to the core. He means it with his very heart. And he's not going to take a refusal as an answer. Do you see the love of Moses here? True love suffereth long and is kind. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And it even bears with the refusals of the gospel invitations and presses on, not accepting no as an answer. And then to, to, to put more pressure on Hobab to come along with him, what does Moses do? He even latches on to the God-given gifts that Hobab had. Listen to, what he says, what, listen to what he says. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the, in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. Hobab knew the territory well. He knew the dangers and difficulties of the wilderness. Mount Sinai and its surroundings, they were known by Moses. That's where he fed his father-in-law's sheep. And so Hobab knew that, knew that area very well. Not that Hobab was going to uh, lead Israel through the wilderness. The cloudy pillar was going to do that. It was going to bring them through. God was going to lead them. But his knowledge of the topography would be invaluable to the people of Israel. Here is what Matthew Henry says in this regard. We are to encamp in the wilderness. He's quoting from Scripture. And, he said, and in parentheses he says, A country well known to Hobab. And thou mayest be to us instead of eyes, not to show us where we must camp, nor what, we must mar- where, where, nor what way we must march, which the cloud was to direct but to show us the conveniences and inconveniences of the place which we, which we march through and encamp in, that we may make the best use we can of the conveniences and the best fence we can against the inconveniences. So what is Moses doing here? Moses is using every permittable means to win over Hobab's affections and garner an acceptance to his invitation. That's what he's doing. And so we say to you too, God has given you gifts. He's blessed you with with these gifts. It would be extremely useful for the body of Christ here. And we want you to see them use use them within the body of Christ in faith. Because anything that's not done in faith is sin. And what is the outcome? We don't have an answer here. Not here. But in Judges 1 verse 16, we understand that Moses prevailed over Hobab. And the children of the Kenite 
Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. It's beautiful, isn't it? To those of you who are at a crossroads tonight on this last day of the year, we're not going to take no for an answer. Nor will we ever. Moses prevailed over Hobab in that short conversation. And he went along with him. And for many years, I was laying before my father the promises of God, going through the word of God, trying to convince him because of the, the background that he has in our former denomination, Preva- trying to prevail upon him with all the promises and all the goodness and the kindness and the compassion of the Lord. And after years, he is starting on his way, and he's coming with us. Hesitant, but he's coming. He's coming. I want you to come with us. I don't want you to be left behind. Don't walk out the doors tonight without closing with Christ. Come with us. We want your company. We can't bear this separation. We just can't bear that. Just thinking about the separation that would, be, would exist between my father and myself was unbearable. Come and enjoy with us all that God has promised us in Christ. But you say, my sins are many. That's true. So are mine. And so is everyone else's here tonight. I know the past lives of some of you, and you know my life. It would be ridiculous of me to hide my life from you. Paul didn't. He said, I was a blasphemer. But Christ prevailed upon me. He prevailed. And there is no case in the Bible where one is refused whose sins were too many. Or perhaps you think you have spurned too many of his gospel invitations. That's true. But why add another one? Why add another one? That doesn't make any sense. If the gospel invitation is there, take it up. 
Don't delay. Because if you do, if you do take it up and you go with us, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same we will do unto thee. The same we will do unto thee. At the striking of the clock at 12 a.m. tonight, as you leave 2023 and enter 2024, will you have come to Christ? Will you close with him? I invite you. Come along with us. Journey with us. The Lord has promised good things concerning us. He's promising to bring us to a land that he has said, I will give it you. Come. You can be eyes for us and help us along our journey as a bunch of cripples leaning upon one another, looking to the Lord Jesus, who is going before us. As surely as he went before the people of Israel in that cloudy pillar by day and that fiery pillar by night, he's going before us. And he's gone before us. And he's in heaven. And just as surely as he is in heaven, I'm there. I'm there. And so is everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. You're there in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh, what a wonderful place you are bringing us, of which nothing in this world can compare. And then when we consider the one who is there, that is beyond all our imagination. He is the indescribable one. And we pray, Lord, as you would open the eyes of those who don't know you tonight and let them see a glimpse of what we see that they may cast in their lot with us and come with us and forsake the world and everything that's in it and to be like pilgrims and to cry, life, life, eternal life. And that they would run and not look back toward that celestial city where I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what you have prepared for them that love thee. And so, Lord, help. Save every soul here. Capture them. And use them for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.